What up, fanboys and fangirls? Welcome to our additional Talking Pop. This is your host, The Franchise. Of course, joining me is my co-host, Biko. Okay. Hey, before we get started on today's episode, of course, um, I want to read a few things here. You want to support the podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Pop. You can go on there, click on the support page, and you can donate as little as a dollar to support the podcast. You can do $1, $5, or even $10. So please support this podcast. It's independently run. But we also want to thank our sponsor, Anchor. You can follow me on Twitter at TheFontchise85. That's all in one word. You can tweet like questions or any suggestions for upcoming episodes. Check out our merchandise store, which is teespring.com slash store slash talking dash pop. You go on there. We got t-shirts. We got hoodies. We got phone cases. We got coffee mugs. We got decals. Check that out. Um, you can go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com. Look for Talking Pop. And you can usually post the links to the episodes on there or anything else. Other than that, um, let's get this going. Um, pretty much, uh, if you've been following for the last few weeks, so uh, we've been covering the Last Dance documentary. We're almost to the penultimate Sunday, guys. Um, this past Sunday was episode seven and eight. So, like I said, we're one more night, one more Sunday for the Last Dance. So, pretty much, before we get back into the discussion, I do want to see something that if you're a big video game guy, if you grew up in the early two thousands or PlayStation days. Uh, they just announced that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remaster is coming out in September. So they actually remastered the first two games. Saw the trailer for it earlier today. They dropped the trailer today. It looks amazing. I mean, if you're a big Tony Hawk Pro Skater fan, um, you definitely will enjoy it. It's kind of cool. They decided to uh, do it for a new generation. It's like it's like a lot of these companies are going and making reboots or remasters of old games. I mean, we saw that with Crash Bandicoot, sort of with Spyro. So now... They decided to do it with, um, with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. So, Biko, I know you played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater suit, but Pro Skater back in the day. So, what are your thoughts on the whole like remaking it? Uh, I didn't see when it's coming out, but I'm excited for it. Uh, this is 1 and 2, so I, I'd be feeling like I have my kid again. Just playing at other kids' houses. I never had the first two. I had the third one once that came on PlayStation 1. So... I get to play the first and second one around on the Xbox One graphics, so uh, we'll wait until it comes out, I guess. And too, um, and then once before before we jump into the discussion of talk of uh, the Last Dance Seven and Eight reactions, we do want to uh, recognize you know the following. Last past weekend, a few notable celebrity deaths. Um, I think the biggest one that kind of hit the world of music was Little Richard. Um, he died at the age of 87. Of course, if you know who Little Richard is, you're probably been living under a rock. Um, he's one of the, I would say he's one of the pioneers of rock and roll. I mean, he's got hits like, you know, Two Free is one of his big hits. And, of course, um, I hear Knocking But You Can't Come In. He's got a bunch of them. Go Golly, Miss Molly. A bunch of them, a bunch of hits. And, you know, he's, like the Beatles credit him as their inspiration. He usually help with the Beatles, Rolling Stones. He usually credit him for his musical talents and his inspiration being one of the pioneers of rock and roll. Um, like I said, that's one of the big things. And of course, um, Jerry Stiller, that's the age of 92. Um, if you remember Jerry Stiller, um, he's the father of Ben Stiller. Of course, you probably know him like a, he's been a comedian for many years, but he was known as playing Frank Constanza on Seinfeld. Also, Arthur on King of Queens. And he did a few movie appearances with his son, Ben Stiller. I think he made a cameo on Heavyweights, I believe, and also Zoolander, I believe he was on there. Yeah. He did a short cameo on Zoolander, so. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah, Zoolander. And, of course, um, Roy from Siegfried Roy also passed away, but due to COVID-19 mm-hmm. as well. So, like I said, it's been an interesting time, guys. It's 
Like, the, it's been really interesting so far. Um, other than that, of course, um, let's get jump right to it, to this Last Dance, 7 and 8. I kind of felt like these two episodes, especially like episode 7, was kind of like the the deep one. I think the one that most everyone was looking forward to, because pretty much if, based on, you know, the viewing and the timeline-wise, just of course keeps going like back and forth between 1998, you know, the Bulls were bringing going to their first like playoff round against the New Jersey Nets. And of course, the timeline's back to the end of 93. You know, the Bulls just won their third championship. Jordan's at that point where he was, like, burnt out. Where I guess he got tired of all, like, the media attention on him. And he started questioning, like, his motivation to keep going. And it kind of, like, you know, and then it kind of leads to what happened to his dad. Which, to me, it's, like, one of the tragedies. And, of course, you know, they also talked about, you know, pretty much... The myths about the skeptic, you know, the conspiracy about the, about, you know, Jordan's dad's death being like, you know, it was planned or something that because of due to his gambling issues was one thing that was brought up with to me that was not, to me that was stupid at my point and my part, you know, because it's like his dad, you know, they know his dad, Jordan knows his dad, like always hangs out with buddies in North Carolina and of course he got tired pulling the side of the road. And became a victim of a random attack. At that time, you know, depending what neighborhood he was, you know, it's a random carjacking. But, you know, like I said, sometimes if they find him driving a nice car, you know, you're always a target. <laughs> but, you know, it was a tragedy what happened to him, how, you know, they found him, like, in a creek. Between the borders of North Carolina and South Carolina, you know, like Jordan's buddy, you know, his best friend's personal assistant, his best friend was supposed to pick him up from the airport. He never showed up. It was probably for a charity event. And then, like, in the show, like, his mom saying, don't worry about it, you know, happens. Sometimes he hangs out with friends, but all of a sudden, he kept days to the point. Articles started showing that he was missing until eventually he was found, you know, found in a creek. Um, and it kind of, like, you know, said Jordan pretty much, it hit him a lot because his dad, his dad was always there. That was his rock. That was, like, his best friend when in the court because every time you see Jordan getting interviewed or the championship was, his dad was always at his side. It was, like, his rock, basically. Yeah. yeah, and it's like a piece of them just you know a piece of you know disappearing. It's like I don't know if that showed that his motivation more. And then you know, of course Jordan talked about the discussion about him retiring and stuff, what to do with retiring from basketball or doing something else. I'm, what I my mad about the decision or what do you mean? Oh, what's your decision like? Why, what like Jordan's like? And of course, at least to when Jordan decides to go. Prescott's like, he had that meeting with Phil Jackson, saying what motivation to keep me going. And Phil basically had nothing. Like, you know, Jordan, what was his motivation to keep going? And of course, Phil tries best to say, hey, you know. I think kind of, Phil kind of respected my, and my, Michael's decision just to walk away from the game. I mean, yeah, I mean, what else? I wouldn't have known what else to, what other options to give that. Other than him, what if he told him? I'm sure he went in there telling him what his what he felt he like what he was going to do with his life or where he was headed and what whatever direction he wanted to go. And they knew that, and I feel like they had. If anything, at that point, they probably had less pressure in their decisions to somewhat support him at that end of the day, and maybe Phil Jackson, at that maybe for this interview. He could have he covered up his answer right there and been like, "Oh well, yeah. I mean, he, we couldn't have, we didn't have any other choice but to, you know, 
wish him the best in his decision, and he won joined baseball, and he was doing very well. So, I mean, he always at the end of the day it was it looked like it was a good decision either way because he had a promising career in baseball as well. So, I mean, yeah, growing up, it showed that he grew up playing baseball first. That was like his first. He even said himself in an interview that was his first passion was baseball. And he's, and he's just athletic as fuck. And then his dad was a four too. Like his, like I think it was on his dad's dream to see him play baseball because that's was George's first passion before basketball and baseball's in his blood. And you know, and then you know, getting like well, I think what's kind of interesting how the training he had to go through just you know to get to that baseball shape because it was like the different transition between basketball and baseball when it comes to like you know strength and where to focus on because you know baseball is more like. Arms and you know the arm strength, you able to hit the ball, and also like the legs a little bit just for agility. Because like it's a golf, kind of like golf, almost. Swing is similar. Like you're doing a swing. Yeah. Motion. So just to change that training regimen to get to that speed, and then of course, you know, and he didn't do that bad. He was like what dope. Point two oh two with uh yeah, fifteen hundred at bats and a fifty yeah, runs batted in. That's actually not bad. That was probably really good score. That's a really good, really good. Bates gave him more time. He was probably would have been on the majors. Yeah, if weren't for the strike in ninety five, I think yeah, I, I kind of so, killed it. I mean, at that point, he you know what else is he gonna do? If the one thing he's good at is being athletic and playing basketball, so he got himself back in, and at that point, you know go back into the basketball and so I think he got the perfect time to go back in and, and thank God because we're we're big Bulls fans that they got the three championships yeah when he retired yeah, like it just way. just going back to that retirement we were happy fuck. well remember that retired in 93 you saw how the news media was covering all that coverage you saw like I kind of like the fact with the documentary show like the footage that we able to get from like news Coverage where people were just standing outside the street, looking at monitors on the TVs and new in churches and schools, probably to see what Joe was going to say. And then pretty much the city just like shook, like it was like a big thing. I mean, to me, you know, we were kids growing up in the nineties. It's like, I mean, it. I don't remember seeing that conference. I know our dad was talking about it. I know we don't read newspapers, but our dad was talking about. It. We were shocked about it when. MJ decided to hang it up, and we're like, what? You know, it's, I mean, it was kind of a shock for sports. I mean, honestly, during that time, before, you know, the Bulls was the biggest thing to hit Chicago. I mean, that was the big, like, money grabber, the big thing was the Bulls, was the big headline, the big showtime of the city at that time. Because, I mean, Cubs and Sox were struggling, of course. Um, You know, hockey as well. We were struggling with hockey as well. It's like... That was the big thing that was coming to Chicago. That got the media attention was the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan because all that media attention. But, you know, his decision to retire at that point was, you know, was based on, you know, motivation. The same thing, you know, decided to try something else. And, you know, before... Well, because he, he did the thing that Magic and Bird couldn't do, and that was when the first dynasty... Did that so three in a row. Fella, he, he told himself at that point, like, I don't know what else to do. So it was, like, a big pressure off of him. And he... He was getting tired of the pressure of being Michael Jordan too. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. so he felt like, oh, let me do something else. And I feel like he just picked something else he could just dive into. And if he felt that he could do his father's wishes, that that's a good way to do it. That's a, just good, being a big up person. At the end of the day, that he wanted to do, which he wouldn't want to do that. You know. And he saw that you know he ended up going to the farm system in the the, the White Sox farm system, so he had to go to the Double A level. 
And it was interesting that Jerry Rogers mentioned that he was paying him his baseball contract. But the way, I think Jordan liked the fact that, and it's funny how his teammates in the baseball, of course, what happened was that's anywhere that MJ goes, of course the media is going to follow him. It shows when they were showing when he was trading in Birmingham and, you know, Terry, I heard somebody saying for Cohen was his manager at that time. You know, Terry Fred Cohen, you know, managed you know, the Red Sox, you know, during like 2004, was it 2004, he won a World Series, the White Sox, and of course, we the Cubs faced him in the World Series. So it's like, seeing him, he was his manager back in the day, and then of course, all the media attention that followed MJ when he went to train Birmingham, all the attention that the town got, because MJ was there. But I like for a fact that, you know, you know the clubhouse he was treated as one of the guys. Because all oh, they didn't like all oh, because he's Michael Jordan. It's like I think MJ kind of felt that you know at least they're treating me like another teammate. You know, like one of the guys, not you know, you know, here's his back with superstar playing baseball. And the thing that I didn't like the fact that you know it showed like Sports Illustrated didn't even, like talk to him in that one article and decided like as soon as MJ stopped quitting, like he was hitting fastballs, he was doing good. He had a 15 game hitting streak, and then all of a sudden they started throwing breaking balls on him, and pe- the media just started to dump on him saying. Baggage, <laughs> so that so I won't cover on sports stars say baggage, Michael. Mm-hmm. But it's like, guys, he's learning. He's learning a new sport. It's different. It's not as easy. Remember, Bo Jackson did that too when he played professional football. Then he went to baseball. Same thing. Same thing with Deion Sanders. He tried the same thing. He went, he went from football to baseball. So it's like, like you know, it's kind of hard when like two like NBA players or players want to do like two sports. Want to be good at two sports. Like, I think Russell Wilson as well. He played football, but he played baseball well when he was in college. So him too. He did it twice. And look at Tim Tebow. He used to play football. Now he was playing. He was in the New York Mets like farm system as well. So it's like it depends. Like each person, you know, when it comes to mindset, they're good at two sports. They're good at two sports. Like, you know. But I think at the same time as, you know, MJ, you know, he wanted to show he could try something else, you know. Like a new journey, a new, a new fresh start, basically. And like I said, all the attention he got because, you know, he was 30 years old at that time and playing baseball at that age. So, I mean, and like I said, the training he had to put into it. And of course, also, while that's going on, of course, he was watching the Bulls games. And, of course... You know, Scotty had to fill that void that Michael left, and he became like the leader of the team. Then it, it talked about, and it talked about, you know, Ku Coach when he came. He finally came over. Yeah, Steve Kerr, Bill Wennington, a lot of Luke Long, a lot of these players coming in because of the help fill that void that MJ had left. And of course, the Bulls. You know that the first season without MJ, they did okay, and of course, um. They show that one picture, that, that one dunk that you talk about when they face the Knicks. That, you know, Scotty yeah. dunking over <laughs> Patrick Ewing. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you know, the whole thing about it, the, the story about Pippen, you know, getting pissed off. And that one play with Tony Kukoc, he's supposed to get the last shot. They still Pippen, won, but... They still won, but... Um, he showed kind of him getting in the best of his emotions. Or letting the emotions kind of get him so easily. That Pippen was... Always letting that happen to himself, which I didn't like. I was like, wow, that kind of sucks. Because look at this. The Bulls, that, that season, when I, that first season on MJ, they were 55 and 27. And he finished third. Pippen Scotty had finished third in that MVP bounty behind Akeem Watch on David Robinson. But, of course, you know, the personality was different, too. But, yeah, like I said, they mentioned it was against the, it was the end of game three, the semifinals against... Guess the next, of course, is show when Scotty threw that, you know, that dunk over Ewing, and of course, 
You don't want to play for Tony Kukoc and Pippen didn't want to go on the court. You want to be a decoy. And here what Scotty said, and the way thing Scotty's reaction to that, and then the quote that Steve Kerr said about saying that he quit on us. It was that said. Because he did. I mean, he did quit on us in that play. He set out that play because he didn't get up. So it's like to see that Pippen quit in the playoffs, and even though it's, I mean, I'm glad we had Tony coach, but in the day, it's sad to see uh, your leader of your team kind of sit that one out based on his own ego, let him get the best of him. And especially his motions and 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 a crucial play like that in the playoffs, you would uh, hope that he would have made a different decision, but he made it. But um, either way, history played out the way the Bulls wanted to go. And uh, fuck, it's just, it's just, it's crazy. We're seeing into it, into it how it could have uh, played a different way back then. Yeah, I was just looking. That's one of the takeaways. This is from me.com. This is where I'm getting to like the takeaways from. And he talked about discussing about that. Then, uh, you know, Pippen eventually did. You know, Bill Cartwright called him out in the locker room. And then Pippen did apologize for his actions. Of course, he tried to play strong course the Bulls, you know, and ended up getting eliminated from the playoffs at that point. And. Oh, there's one to say here to this day. They're replicating to Chicago that rather than displaying his customary number 33, read Pippen 1.8. Wow, <laughs> that is interesting. Um, like I said, then of course you know Bulls end up getting limited, and then of course '95 happened, and of course you know Jordan's going to make baseball Bulls are going to do their season, and of course um they end up starting a new season uh, in the United Center, so the new stadium, so at that point, and of course you know Jordan you know game for baseball again, but of course the baseball strike happens, so it's like. What else he's going to do? I mean, at that point, it's like to the point that, you know, there was rumor he started. And it goes to that famous story about, you know, B.G. Armstrong and my MJ meeting up. And, of course, you know, and of course B.G. Armstrong talking about that story where they meet up to eat and then everything. And then they're like, um, he's just getting ready to go to practice. So MJ ends up following, gets up going with them. Cause starts a couple, like, the pretty much the practices and stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, he's wearing his practice gear, he's still wearing a suit, and then uh, they start seeking guard me and force to playing one on one. Of course, Jordan starts getting that basketball itch. And of course, this shows that one shot from the game when Pippins points to the Jordan shoes, telling him to come back and everything. And of course, you know, let me see if I can find him because there's a reaction. I think it was one of the takeaways on here. Find it. Ah, here we go. And, of course, they jumps back to 98 on the Bulls, beat the Nets. So, they end up sweeping them three games to nothing. And ends up going towards, you know, when they're facing the Charlotte Hornets. Of course, they're facing against B.J. Armstrong at the time was part of the Hornets. And, of course, the Bulls did well in game one. And, of course, it talked about, you know, game two of the NBA, of the conference of the 1998, the second round against the Charlotte Hornets. And, of course, how B.J. pretty much outplayed Jordan. And it kind of like, you know, it kind of like, of course, transition back. They talk about this one player. What's his name? The one player from the Bullets, supposedly, that scored over MJ. And what was his name? Let's see if I can find it. In the Bullets? Yeah, because remember how BJ had a performance against MJ in 98 playoffs in the game two. And then it talked about um, 
Sony played again. Oh yeah. Okay, I forgot yeah, the guy's I name. The one guy. Oh, the one rookie guy that got. Oh, yeah, okay. from the bullets that he got. You know. Oh yeah, I forgot. He got, he scored like thirty something points on Jordan. Yeah, and then the next night, MJ pretty much that. like. And then he used his vengeance and just like fucking teared it up. Like motivation. All, all on him. That's motivation. Yeah, just like killed him. Right. I forgot that player's name. Yeah, yeah right. I'm just gonna find it. I wonder if it's in the article. I forgot here. about that. That was crazy. That was an interesting story. Let me see if I can find it on here. Yeah, because it talked about that. Just one. show how easily, how easily Jordan Dominic could dominate a whole game. You know, it was so simple. It's crazy to see how one one guy who had a good game on a lucky night. Uh, against Jordan doing terrible. I think he was he started the game for like one of six, shooting one for six. It was just a really bad night for him. And then Jordan comes back the next it was a back to back, right? That was all he's like oh Yeah, they had just, to fly back like the next night to Because yeah. uh, as soon as they asked BJ he's like, Oh yeah, the back to back night in Washington and then it was like, Oh shit. It was a crazy night for him, but like to see Jordan like put that easily it was what a just put on that performance, it's crazy. Very crazy stuff to see. Yeah, I can't find the name on here, but... No, it's an interesting story, though. Oh, yeah, Bradford Smith, apparently. This is what I was talking about. And that was on episode 8, so, yeah. We'll get into episode 8. I just, I don't know, I'm just trying to go in order, but... Of course, you know, MJ decides... You know what? I'm gonna come back, you know, based on the practices and stuff. And, of course, it talks about how... You know, they're gonna do, like, a press release and stuff, and, you know... Like it was as David Falk told MJ how you want to do it, and he just put the simple words on back. Of course, they send it and make it official, and pretty much, you know, hits the media like crazy, like a firestorm. And then, of course, you know, the first game was going to be against the Indiana Pacers on the road, and uh, it was in March. And then, of course, you know, it was almost to the playoff time around that time. The Bulls were sitting pretty close to not making it into the playoffs, but... Um, and pretty much, you know, he ends up wearing number 45, which was apparently, you know, the number he had in baseball, but apparently it was also his first number when he started playing high school basketball. Because he felt that, you know, 23 was retired at a time to start for, like, a fresh start and you change. And, of course, one of the takeaways it does in this article I pulled up, um, from the NBA.com was the whole body shape issue. Because, of course, you know... One of the big things was the buys were saying, you know, changing training for baseball, then transitioning back to basketball, it's not easy. Because they, they saw, like, the first, they showed, like, some of the highlights where Jordan was airballing, was missing, but eventually he started gaining the groove again. And, of course, the Bulls ended up losing that, that comeback, that Jordan comeback game in overtime. And, of course, they, up, they move on and go to New York. And that's where he dropped the famous double nickel. <laughs> 55 points against the Knicks. So, of course, you know, here's one of the quotes that I pulled up. I think they mentioned here when Jordan came back. And let's see, I can pull it up here. And this is what uh, I guess um, this is what Jordan said. Like when he said what Jordan said to him when he when Jordan came back, he's like, I want you to jump on the cape, but you have to hold on. And of course, you know, was it 8 or episode 7 or 8, they talk about Jordan's, like, intensity? Uh, I think it might have been 8. Yeah, 
and the practices and stuff. Oh yeah, that's something we need to talk about this week. The practices. It might have been eight, yeah. Yeah, and pretty much, you know, you know, MJ goes back. Of course, like I said, going back to the the BG Armstrong thing, which you know, it's it's talked about. I would say, you know, Bulls and Bulls aren't going to Charlotte. If he's the Charter Hornets. And then, you know, about that game. And, of course, Bradford Smith, a nice game thing. And, like you said, we score points. And, of course, Bulls make it to the playoffs in 95. And they end up facing the – they end up squeaking by in the first round. And, of course, in the semifinals, they end up facing – no, Ethers Crime Finals, they end up facing the Magic. Of course, at that time, Horace Grant was on the Magic's. Of course, the Bulls losing Horace Grant was one of their defenders or rebounders. So remember, the Bulls didn't have Dennis Rodman yet, guys. So pretty much, you know, playing against Horace, you know, and then of course you had Anthony Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, Nick Anderson. Of course, you know, he ends up like pretty much uh, joining number forty-five. And then, um, there's a thing could take here, like, Paul was talking about, I guess, um, he was watching the replay of Zora being stripped by Nick Anderson in Game 1. And it said, the MJ debuted the iconic Air Jordan 11 that series. Anderson actually wore customized Air Jordan 10, but he wore it in magic colors with number 25 stitch in the collar. Unless the bomb of the shoes feature all Jordan's prior career achievements. So I guess Jordan 10s came out of hell as, like, achievements stitched into the thing. And, of course, um... It says, when well, Jordan retired in 93, Nike outfitted a handful of top guards and wings around the league. We're enjoying 9s and 10s in custom colors with uniform numbers in place of 23. Knicks guard Huber Davis, Magic guards Penny Hardaway and Anderson were some of those players. The Knicks and Magic being two teams to knock, to knock out the Bulls in 94 95. While those pitiful players were wearing Jordans. It's all funny and ironic, so it's to look back on. So, of course, you know, they were doing good. And, of course, the Bulls were up by one. And, of course, uh... MJ decides to do that one mistake where he's like going back, and of course, Nick Anderson takes the ball away. Oh, wait, that's they talked that morning eight, so went back and forth. Of course, um, going into eight, it leads into episode eight where he faced the magic, and of course, it shows the famous, you know, Nick Anderson, you know. Pretty much, you know, taking the ball, he put Jordan, passes away, and then Jordan, they had a shot at the end. Jordan tries to throw it, pass it to Pippen, Pippen missed up. Ball goes out of bounds, Magic take game one. And pretty much, it showed pretty much how Jordan's physical, like they even said he was exhausted. Because like you said, coming from baseball shape into basketball shape, not many time to get ready. You came like in March, almost the tail end of the regular season, going to the playoffs, like your agility, your the physicalness wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't the same. Wasn't the best look. Yeah. And pretty much it showed. It showed because he kept airballing, he kept missing certain. Which, like I said, he came back at a time. You know, like I said, he came back. Like he wanted to come back, but at the same time, his body wasn't prepared for it. Oh, of course, so of course, the Magic ended up sweeping the Bulls. Yeah. And they went out to face the Houston Rockets, and of course, the Houston Rockets. They're 94-95. Took advantage of basically win those two championships. Because people don't forget, these Rockets won 94-95. They beat the Knicks in 94, and they beat the Magic in 95. 
And uh, and it's like it is. And then I saw there was another article saying, "What if um, Jordan didn't retire? Would have seen Houston and the Bulls in those two series, and you know that would have been interesting." Yeah, it would have been a great series. But... Yeah, it just I, I, mean, I like how things played out, though. It's just the way things. I don't want to imagine a different scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so pretty much, you know. Playoffs, the Bulls got swept in 95. You know, basically everyone goes home. Jordan decides, you know, apparently he has a shooting thing. And that kind of funny. They talk about the Space Jam film. So they show some of the backstage stuff. And, of course, Jordan at that time, he had to shoot a film, which was Space Jam. They were filming in summer 95. And, of course, MJ at that time, he wants to go back to work, start training again. So the one of the stipulations had his contract with the Wonder Bros was, I need a place to train. And Wonder Bros complied. He ended up building a custom gym for him, like a blow-up gym. So that way he can t- practice and train when they're not shooting. And pretty much, you know, it, showed, it was kind of cool seeing all the back stuff he had to do. And then he decided to invite, like, other players to come and pretty much play with them. Pick up games, basically, just to just to study. He ran his own camp. It's his own training camp, basically. His own training camp. I think it was a Reggie Miller that said that uh, based on like the shooting schedule that he was like a vampire or something because yeah you never because they filmed off like they were from like they did Monday to Friday Jordan did Monday to Friday from seven to seven p.m. Between an acting schedule and and training and his training schedule and then pick up uh, game schedule that he would do he would only probably sleep three or four hours he's had what maybe four hours max and then wake up early as fuck to shoot maybe like seven o'clock be early as fuck six seven. So, yeah, I mean, he doesn't know where he would... He called a vampire because he doesn't know where he'd get the energy for that. Because, like, that's a crazy schedule to live by, but he wanted to live. He was just... his The drive is just the competitiveness. So he... We got to see more of that intensity in there, but, like, man, that's, that schedule was insane. And then, like, his... And the people he was playing there at his, at his setup there, his little camp, it was no joke. He didn't have any pushover players either. Most of those like players were fil- that appeared so, in the film or other young he players. He wasn't just using his energy. It was, his energy wasn't going to waste. So, like, it was it just to imagine, like, how... I can imagine how how his breast would be, though, because he would probably just pass out as soon as he goes into bed. So, I don't know. It's crazy. It's just impressive. Just impressive human. Yeah, it's like one of the things that, you know, pretty much, um, no, it's crazy, you know, and then it's like what Reigns there saying in episode 7 too when he was almost playing baseball, and this is what, and then the quote that Reinsdorf said that basically when Michael was signed to play baseball, I continued paying his basketball contract with just something over $3 million a year. Reinsdorf said in episode 7, there was no reason to pay him, other than that he was underpaid his entire career and he made a lot of money for a lot of people. And this is the comment from Dave McManor from this article on ESPN saying, is it like the same guy who would restructure Scottie Pippen's contract and our guy underpaid his entire career in Chicago? Didn't he still have the shrewd? Didn't he still have the shrewd Jerry Cross right in the front office? You think Cross is comfortable with the Masters cap hold for Jordan when he was trying to restructure the, the team on the fly even there were no salary cap applications? It was more like a generous party gift from Reinsdorf. Doesn't the payment kind of make you believe that Reinsdorf thought Jordan was coming back to the Bulls all along? <laughs> I mean, you paint <laughs> paint him like pretty much um and then of course um episode seven also got into the whole 
Jordan's mentality. The whole, and, and Jordan summed up his intent winning has a price. And there's one thing where one of the takeaways from NBA.com said that so, and his quote was, so that's why he was a jerk. And, and what Jordan said, like, winning has a price. Leadership has a price. And he said, um, this is what MJ also said, once you join a team, you live a certain standard that I play the game and I wasn't going to take anything less. And of course, I talk about, you know, Steve Kerr, him got emotional. And BJ said, well, with that kind of tell he had, he couldn't, be, he couldn't be a nice guy. Because it kind of shows, like, you saw with, with Scott Burrell and everything. And they said, oh, Scott Burrell's a nice guy to take all that. But but the way, like, MJ was showing, like, he was using, like, you know, shooting insults and, you know, pushing Scott Burrell to the point to play at that level that, you know, MJ played at. But I think it shows because he did they show that game against the Nets. He scored like what twenty four points yeah. in that game three against the Nets. Mm-hmm. So it'd be tough. It would definitely be a different. He's just too good to start off the playoffs in the East. Like the Bulls were too strong. It's funny because like the way they started off the playoffs in ninety seven was the same thing they did in ninety eight, and the way they started off were just. It was impressive that they had a good run against the Nets, even though they were a very young team. But uh, Jordan, even in his, I guess you could say his age at that point, you could still see him still being very, very much in control of the pace of a game. Mm-hmm. Just even in that age. And I think that like at the playoffs, he would still very much like... Uh, just like how he ended in Seattle, I like how they showed that part, but like... Oh, in Seattle? Yeah, all that stuff, and how they showed the, the end of that championship run, but like, uh, just showing that Jordan, once he kind of came back, transitioned back into the NBA, and showing that he could still take a team into the championship, that was his only goal at that point, was just taking championships, 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 he wouldn't want anything else. Yeah. So that was nice to see, uh, it just, that, w- that, that was his mindset there, and uh... We get a little glimpse of them against Seattle and, and just 96. showing that. Oh, yeah, we do want to talk his about run that. Going into that last season, going into the last uh, championship run, that it never changed. And even in the playoffs, that, the, that he would still have that control in the game was, it was just impressive again. And then that interview when Jordan's interview with the documentary crew, he got a little emotional. At the end, the quote he says, I wanted to win, but I wanted them to be part of winning as well. If you don't want to play that way, then don't play that way. So he got, you saw he got a little heated at that at that quote. And of course, it talks about, of course, it, it cuts back to, you know, the season already won 72 games. Because no team has won 70 games because the Lakers up to like, what, 68 wins? The 71, 72 Lakers. Went to 68 wins, 69 wins, and then the Bulls end up getting the 70. And they end up finishing the regular season 72-10. Of course, it didn't culminate until they won a ring. And then, of course, I like for a fact that went to it cut away to the documentary. It went cut back to, you know, 96. They ended up facing the Seattle Sonics. You, know, you had Gary Payton. You had Sean Kemp. Definitely Shrimp. You, you had, like, all these players. And, of course, um, the Bulls of this against Seattle. And then the Bulls, you know, ever sweeping and they end up getting the revenge against the Magic in the Key Conference Finals. I was sweeping the Magic because they had Dennis Rodman. That was one of the key things they were missing was a defensive guy and rebounder, but someone that knows how to, you know, you know, set up the rebounds and of course, you know, defensive wise. 
you know, sweeping the Magic and moving on, and people were looking at Seattle being the mismatch. And, of course, you know, Seattle coming high because they beat the Rockets in the conference finals in the West. And, you know, it could have been Houston and Chicago in 96. Seattle, I'm winning. And I like they had Gary Payne do an interview, and he saw when um, Gary Payne was uh, talking about the quote about him, that he wanted to guard Jordan, which at that time George Carl didn't have Gary Payne on Jordan because he wanted Gary Payne to focus more on scoring than, you know, defense. And that's why the Bulls ended up coming away and ended up taking the, first, or the 3-0 lead. Against Seattle, and then of course you know Gary Payne, you know, arguing with George of George Carl at that time, telling, "Hey, um, I'm going to defend Michael. And I'm going to defend him." And of course, it, it showed. And of course, the quote he says, "Half," and then it showed Jordan's reaction to the interview, and he started laughing it off and stuff. And it's like I think it too. And it also showed, you know, when the Bulls finally clinched it in '96, and it showed what MJ with the basketball claps on the floor. He's crying because, you know, it's like the one thing is like his first championship that his dad's not there. And it kind of hit him hard because it was on Father's Day as well. And so it kind of hit him that hard, you know. So I bring up at the same time, it's like your dad's not there. But I think it, it meant, I think that championship meant more to him. You know, coming back, you know, deciding to come back to the sport that, you know, that he had a passion and drive for and doing that, you know, while, like I said, when I was dad, when I was rock there, but I know he said he, his dad's always watching and it showed that, you know, even his best friend, his assistant said, you know, James never left. James was always there. So it's like, kind of shows his drive and everything. And of course it cuts back, like I said, it cuts back to being dry and strong. And of course it talks about, you know, like I said, MJ's work ethic and how, you know, how he was practicing and talk about Steve Kerr, how he and Steve Kerr got into it. Oh, yeah, that was, that was, he was fascinated with his teammates and showing how crazy competitive it, he would take it and the level of intensity would show how he would uh, expect his players to get to that standard of play um, that he would want to be in. So Jordan had crazy fucking, I guess, beliefs when it came to playing on a basketball team with him. Uh, and he fucking let it happen on the practices and on the court and in real game situations. And he was alpha. He was the leader. So mm-hmm. it was just like, it was a little intense to show how much he it affected him and his ego, um, almost like sociopathic like mm-hmm. in a sense. Because it's like any way to win, and if that meant breaking your will or being an asshole towards you he didn't know any other way it was just being an asshole being assholes because he was raised very competitive so and never it like that's the way it, it was kind of like tyson like just in this it, it showed similar set similar ways of like tyson was hypnotized by his trainer but at a different age and jordan like similar ways but like i guess being hypnotized by uh playing games with his brother and his dad kind of being tough on him on winning and that's like everything when it came to sports so he he built his kind of edge of that way almost psychotic like so he didn't know anything else and he felt even saw his responses he felt like it was fine like there was nothing wrong with it even almost like to tears like he felt like he had a like nobody was listening to him. like he it almost looked like he's like am i crazy for thinking this way like how how are you now guys not I thought I was, it's like, am I normal for not thinking this way? I thought everybody lived life this way. Mm-hmm. He thought it was like, it was, it was crazy to see him. 
that way. Yeah, of course, you know, going back, you know, how Nick Anderson talked trash to him in that 95 series where Jordan decided to change his number back to 23, saying that 45 is in 23. It kind of, kind of drove a thing into him as well. And then, of course, going back to 96, um, of course, Gerald Car- George Carl's uh, damn if he did, damn if he didn't. Restaurant failure to stop by Jordan State to pay homage. You know, Carolina guys don't matter, Jordan. And Jordan said, like, that's all I needed. And it became personal to me because Jordan Carl didn't acknowledge him when they were in the restaurant. And then, of course, um, like I was talking about Payton's quote when he, uh, Gary Payton, you have the glove. And um, he says, I kept hitting him and banging him, hitting him and banging him. It took a toll on Mike. Payton said, then the series changed. When, you know, Gary Payton decided to, you know, guard MJ on game four and game five. And, of course, it ignited a fire in MJ. He's like, it's like, he uses, like, his opponent. To me, it's like, he uses his opponent. And even these small thing, it gives, like, it gives Jordan the like, intensity to come back and pretty much put the beat down on you. Like, what BJ did in the 98 playoffs with the Charlotte when he scored, like, the dagger in game two. It ignited a fire in MJ because that was your former team and that's someone that you played with. For first three championships, and then a little bit when you came back, and then you decided to go back and <laughs> pretty much take control of the series, and that's what the Bulls did. And after that game two, the Bulls went on to finish just sweeping the the, the Charlotte Hornets from that point. And like I said, it just takes you know one minute, you know, just any little thing. MJ sets up his determined, like you said, his competitiveness, his determination, like anything sets him off. Pretty much, and like I said, based on you know how he was during the practice run, like. He wasn't a nice guy, but you got to understand it for the fact, you know, he was leading a team. Mm-hmm. And like what he said, you know, I come in here with having a winning mentality. You got to have the same mentality as I do. But it's like, it's like interesting. Like, those, those I will say those episodes stand out. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from those two episodes? Um, the biggest takeaway is just seeing Jordan uh, kind of be more vulnerable in this way of, Thinking we kind of see him being driven by his purpose more in these episodes and uh, breaking down more after we show him kind of deal with something so tragic as losing a family member so deeply. Uh, his, well, I guess you could say, his best friend, so his father, and uh, we see him kind of deal with these some an event that like. We see a whole different side of Jordan after that, and it was nice that um, we kind of got to build up towards that as we lined up to the uh, playoffs and of uh, the '98 season. And uh, I think it it was a better use of the pace that we're seeing this series play out in. Um, and I'm excited for the next two episodes. The final two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of showed. To me, I kind of like the fact he focused more on the baseball. What was his motivation? Mm-hmm. He went to deep more. Because he saw he was even burnt out since the 92. Like, he was already burnt out after the back-to-back um, titles. Even, but the problem is he had the Olympics coming up. And, of course, he couldn't, you know, walk away with the Olympics coming on. So, that was something he had to go through. And, then, like I said, he even had thought of walking out after 92. But he decided to stay gone. Because, like I said, no team decided to do, like, back-to-back-to-back-to-back. But... And of course, you know, the whole thing about the gambling. Right. <laughs> the myth. Apparently, because I saying, oh, because, and then, and I like when they asked um, David Stern about the 18 month like myth, and he said, where did you hear that? You know, he never got suspended. There was nothing like that. Then they moved out when MJ was gone. Because people thought that time was like, oh, MJ's not going to 
doing it in the NBA is not going to do it because Michael's gone they lost one of the players but now and they moved on because they had a lot of young talent around that time and they moved on the Bulls were trying to move on and like I said I like for the fact that it kind of focused on you know what the team was doing when MJ was doing baseball um, I did like the pacing too because it was a. I think the transition from back and forth was the issue more more easy more um simple. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like the previous episodes where it kept going back and forth, back and forth. But actually, just the transition was actually really good. And like just seeing you know MJ's mentality when it came to practicing with his teammates, how his teammates viewed him, how he personally saw himself when he was leading his team and. I mean, I can't disagree what he said. Well, what he said about the whole mentality and stuff about, you know, from that quote he said, you know, that, you know, I wanted to win, but I wanted to be part of winning as well. Because he was, basically the whole thing was, yeah, I'll be a jerk, I'll call you out, but it's like, it would, like they have saying, oh, there's two faces of Mike, there's the one that will joke around with you, but there's the one that practice where he becomes different. It's just, I think, you know, it's more of a motivational thing. And like I said, after, you know, he punched Wilbur, he punched Steve Kerr, but they end up, like, you know, hashing out afterwards. And basically what Steve Kerr said, like, after that, after talking it out, they end up becoming best of friends and having a good um, professional relationship. But they totally understand where and Michael was coming from, you know, having that whole mentality of winning, but at the same time, he wants these guys to play at the same level he is. And trying to push them to get to the... Like, trying to like, pretty much elevate their game. And show, like, Tony Kukoc in 96 won six man of the year. Mm-hmm. Jordan won MVP in 96. You know, Jordan Bulls had all-stars. So, it's like... Secure in 97 won the three-point contest in the all-star game. Jordan Pippen won honors one of the 50 greatest players. So, having that honor, you know, it's like... It does lead to, like, success for his teammates. Not just at Michael, but all success for his teammates. Then having Dennis Rodman in the game was also also too because you had the Trinity basically. <laughs> um, of course, it leads now when episode eight ending when they're about to face the Indiana Pacers, which I don't remember too much about as that series, but it was an intense series. And I can't. I'm look like I said. I'm looking forward to episodes nine and ten because it's the pen. It's the it's the last two episodes of this of this great run, and hopefully they'll dive deep more into. Nine uh, into the the Pacers series because they went. It was one of those things they went to Game Seven. You know, I had the documentary. I think the documentary talked and showed a lot of it. Of course, at that time you had Reggie Miller, Mark Jackson, Chris Mullen, Ricky Smiths, um, yeah, Larry Bird's the coach. I mean, it was an intense series, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, I would say overall, though, so far it's been this documentary has been great. I mean, it's been a big thing since, like I said, there's no sports right now. But it kind of like it's nice to go back to nostalgia and you know hearing their reactions and their stories from back in the day, and you know, and other things we never knew about behind closed doors. But overall, how do you see like to me? How do you see Jerry Cross in this whole thing? Okay. The same. Do you still see him as the villain of this whole documentary series so far? No. Yeah, he's still the same. Um, my opinion never changed on him. Just the same rap. Who want to get ahead? That's about it. And I wanted to want to bring up because I found this article about the NBA players like reacting to this documentary series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably the quotes they had on 
like I said, episode conclude with Jordan Bulls winning the 96 championship against Seattle. And, of course, it's going to lead to the to the whole thing. Um, so, let's see what... Um, oh, yeah, then, you know, I talked about that dunk that uh, that Pippen did uh, over at Patrick Ewing. Good old Nate Robinson had to say a quote about it. And, and this is what Nate said. The way Pippen stood over A-Wing after the dunk is so disrespectful. <laughs> but it's funny because he has the laughing emojis, though. <laughs> really? Look at Nate Ross. He played for the Wolves at one point. And then, of course, I mean, Quentin Richardson said the man just had tears and eyes explaining his passion and how he went without competing at basketball. Just some won't get it. Talk about MJ when he talked about that. And one other player said, stop being soft. Learn how to take constructive criticism. Yeah. Other than you know, this guy, he, he actually, Quentin Richards also took a quote from MJ during the documentary. He says, I'm supposed to kill this guy. I'm supposed to dominate this guy. From that point, I did. When MJ did set on DJ Armstrong in the playoffs. Wow. I mean, he doesn't sound like he's whining on the series. Kind of has a good Look what Isaiah Thomas said. Only thing I don't like is how scared everybody was playing against them. Mentally, they already lost because they're not even thinking they can win. Barkley won MVP and, and, and said, I'm fine with losing MJ. If somebody said that these days they would get killed by media and everybody else. <laughs> and of course, uh, talk about the I, I'm back thing. Says, uh, Jamal Crawford said, I'm back. How, could you, how cold you got to be to say two words and the world stops. And this is all what it did. Like, basically... And then Kevin Love, the double nickel game. <laughs> Trey on court down back. LeBron said, man, ain't nothing like Madison Square Garden. In the little famous arena. And of course, LeBron talked about what a during that series lost. Rusty, MJ so cold that he went from 45 to 23 from game one to game two in the playoffs. Haha, that was legendary. And Eric Pascal saying, chill, coach. I see the hair was flowing back then. That's Steve Kerr. <laughs> oh, like, this is what Quentin Richardson said about the, uh, the practices. He said that this MJ Kerr fight is a glimpse into so many practices over the time of basketball. Players hate when the coaches are are the refs and they make calls against us. Oftentimes, we take it out on each other and end up fighting. Oh, well. And Coach Kerr not having it. Isaiah <laughs> Thomas bring back our Sonics. <laughs> uh, and his reactions are so crazy. MJ was different. What the? Of course, um, okay, we're going to take a quick break, guys. And then we come back. We'll just have our final thoughts on the episodes. Um, or pretty much what we're looking forward to in the last two episodes of Last Dance. So don't go away. Make sure to listen to this ad. We'll be right back. Hey, it's the franchise from Talking Pop with the franchise and Bico. Just letting you know, we have a storefront. It's teespring.com slash Talking Pop. We got shirts. We got tank tops for men, women, kids. We also got hoodies and sweatshirts. Um, we actually have coffee mugs, and we have an iPhone case and a Samsung case with the Pops or Not logo on there. Also, we have stickers, so you can put on your locker, on your laptop, whatever you want to 
put those stickers on there. So right now, if you go to teespring.com slash TalkingPop, and when you go to check out, use the promo code TALKPOP and save $5 on your order. Support the podcast. As always, geek on and take care. Alrighty, and we're back, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. So yeah, we finished seven and eight, guys. Um, what you like? I said, um, what are you looking forward to in episodes nine and ten, Biko, for the last dance? Um, looking to see what their thoughts. Well, I guess what the Jordan's thoughts were on the last uh, couple teams they were leading up that they were playing up to the championship game in the playoffs. Want to see what his thoughts were going into those last couple games against uh, the Jazz and. Uh, I want to say I want to definitely see how we dealt with the media in that time because at this point of his career, we would assume it would be his last final years playing his bowl. So they were at that point. So it would be nice to see his transition from dealing with them from his rookie year till that point in his career. So it would be nice to see that, uh, how much he's matured and dealt with that as being such an icon in the public eye and uh, I want to see them close out the series uh, very well and I'm excited to see because it's been such a good run as far as the documentary is concerned. Um, so I'm just excited for the last two episodes to play out very well. Yeah, for me, yeah, I'm looking forward to the last two episodes just to see like, of course, episode ended when they won against the Sonics, so I'm assuming episodes 9 and 10 are going to deal back between 96 to 97 where they faced the Jazz the first time. So I'm assuming they're going to cover that, that you know, that season, the 50th anniversary season of the NBA. Hopefully they'll talk about, like, when they'll go back and forth. The Jazz the first time, and, of course, you know, the big playoff series, conference finals, 1998 against the, against the Pacers, which ended up taking them to the brink of elimination, and then I'm going to a Game 7. To see what their thoughts at that time. Hopefully they talk more with Larry Bird about that time, too. Because, yeah. like I said, he was coaching at that time. And of course, the second, you know, finals against, you know, the Jazz. And hopefully they'll show the flu game from the 97 finals. So, like I said, the way the documentary has been going, has been going back and forth. So, probably, like, we'll probably see more of that in episode 9. And then I'll probably, the two timelines will intertwine when it goes to episode 10. And just to see, you know, what the team's mentality was going into that 98 final against the Utah Jazz. And what their thoughts were, you know... At that point, because it's like, think about it, like I said, the whole thing, this was the last time we're all going to play together, you know, the show, you know, hey, let's do this one more time, you know, let's win this one more time and see what Dennis's reaction, Michael's reaction, and of course, you know, the whole myth about the push-off, because Brian Russell kept talking about the push-off at the last shot that NJ took, which to me, he didn't push him off, he just juked him, so it's like, because they only want Brian Russell. Jordan just juked you, man. You just, you just, he just broke your ankle. That's all it was. So, and of course, you know, I think Dennis Rodman around that time. They'll probably talk about him because at that time, you know, they uh, that the Jazz and Bulls rivalry was a big one that time in the '97 Finals and '98 Finals because you had like the whole Dennis Rodman Carmelo rivalry. It had spring, it had, you know, moving away just not just basketball. Into sports entertainment because I know WWE Network did a documentary on Rodman. When Rodman went to WCW, did like a promo thing there with Hulk Hogan at that time. So, like I said, hope you all best your dad, like Rodman that t- at that point, 97. 
the, the Jordan flu game when he scored 38 points in game five in the 97 finals. And of course, you know, it called me in game six where they, when Jordan did the shot to Kerr, when Kerr made that, that, that jumper, the pool had the jazz. And like I said, with the whole combination, I wonder what's going to show. I wonder, like, if episode 10 is going to show what happened after the Winter Six Championship. Mm. And what happened afterwards, you know. What the mentality was going to that time when, you know, we won the Six Championship. We all had to go our separate ways. And just see what their thoughts were. If they were able to stay together, they could have won. I would say if, they, if Jerry Cross wasn't as stubborn as he was. And based on, you know, the, the NBA season after the Bulls won 98 was a shortened lockout season. I would have thought the Bulls would have won again. Mm-hmm. If they were able to stay together. So, I mean, definitely this documentary has been, you know, pretty much a big distraction from what's been going on in the world right now with the whole COVID-19. But it is enjoyable. You know, like I said, it's kind of hard with no sports going on right now. As for me, I've been watching old WWE, you know. Footage right now, watching the early days of the ad tour. Uh, I mean, and then of course, you know, MC Sports was showing like old games as well. And I saw like MC Sports Chicago was showing like the Bulls right now, old Bulls games as well from the '90s. So, I mean, that's all we can do right now. And like I said, um, and then of course, like ESPN, just now some documentary series coming up after the Bulls. They're doing a two-parter Lance Armstrong one about you know his controversy, and then of course they're gonna have the Bruce Lee documentary, and then of course the home run race. 30 for 30 films, basically, that's coming back. So, looking forward to that. Um, other than that, um, any final thoughts? No, just excited for the next episodes. Alrighty. Um, so, what, uh, I know it's kind of like a short episode, guys, but I do want to give one reaction. Right now, I did watch, because I'm a wrestling guy, I did watch Money in the Bank last, uh, yesterday, the repeat. I kind of enjoyed... The event wasn't that bad. It was actually a short period of event. Only like 2 hours and 24 minutes. I mean, a lot of matches, most of the matches were from the, at the Performance Center, but the big money in the bank match they decided to do was, was interesting was they decided to do it at the WWE headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut, and decided to do the women's and men's money in the bank matches at the same time. So they had the women start in the lobby and had the men start in the gym and basically had to fight their way to, to the build, through the building, up the, you know, up the floors of the building, Get to the roof because the the, the three cases were hanging above the ring, up on the roof. So I used the ladder to get up there, and there, you could tell it was pre-taped. Um, but it was funny. It was like there were some cameos. Like they had Brother Luck come out there. Stephanie made a cameo. Paul he made a cameo in the cafeteria, and then there was one point where AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan were friends in this man's office, and he kicks him out. So there were some comedic instances in there. And of course, you know, it culminated with Asuka winning the women's money in the bank briefcase and Otis. Otis from Heavy Machinery winning the men's money in the bank. Surprises to Otis. I know tonight he's going to be on backstage. Of course, CM Punk's going to make an appearance tonight backstage as well. And then, of course, you know, it was a good pay per view. And of course, the big news that came from yesterday during Raw because we haven't seen Becky Lynch make an appearance. And eventually, um, there was a reason why she came out. She was apparently she was holding the money bank briefcase. She calls out Asuka. Asuka comes out. Pretty much Becky breaks the whole kayfabe, of course, to announce that she'll be stepping away from wrestling because she is pregnant. 
and decides that the, inside the brief, the women's briefcase was the Raw Women's Championship, so Asuka technically won the championship. So Becky Lynch had a pretty much, so Becky Lynch had a pretty much released the belt, and she's gonna take time off to be a mom. So you know, congratulations to Becky Lynch and her fiance, Seth Rollins, as they're waiting for their first bundle of joy. And of course, you know, Randy Orton and Edge still continue their rivalry, and they're going to do a straight-up wrestling match, and WWE with the whole ratings not doing well, they decide, you know what, we're going to do a brand invitational. Basically, Superstars get to compete on SmackDown, and SmackDown Superstars get to compete on Raw, so due to the lowest ratings. Other than that, other than that besides video games, you know, with Tony Hawk, of course, the depths with celebrities, um, I do want to point out that we're going to have something coming up soon. After the last dance, I can't really go into detail to that yet. Um, so, thank you for following us with the last dance coverage that we've been doing for the last few weeks. Like I said, we're looking forward to episodes 9 and 10. That's going to premiere this coming Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Or you wait, go on the ESPN app to watch it on demand. Other than that, um, you can check out the rest of our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Make sure when you go on Apple Podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to give us a five-star rating. Um, follow us on Spotify. Follow us on Google Podcasts. You know, as long as you stream, guys, we, you know, get some more attention out there. Like I said, don't forget to check out the links I gave you guys at the beginning of this episode. Like I said, you can check out the backlog on Anchor. Big shout-out to them for being our sponsor for the podcast. And like I said, we got a lot of big things playing for the, for the weeks ahead. Take care, you guys. Take care of yourselves. Wash your hands. As always, geek on and take care.